0: In this sheer on Parshas Mishpatim, I would like to discuss a Rashi comment which I think we could call a sneaky comment. It looks as if Rashi is saying almost nothing, and yet upon examination he's saying quite a bit. The Torah talks about a shor hamazek, an ox that damages. And here the Torah talks specifically about an ox that gores someone else's Evid Kanani. And Evid Kanani is a non-Jewish uh, person who was bought as a slave by a Jewish person. The uh, moral aspects of slavery are not going to be the topic of this year. We're simply going to assume that there's such an institution, and this is a very particular little detail in the laws regarding that institution. Now normally if an ox gores uh if my ox gores your ox and uh kills it let's say so i would either pay half the price of your ox if my ox had never gored before that's called a short time or i would pay the full amount of the damage the full price of your ox if my ox had a had a reputation had an established reputation of being dangerous that's called a muad. If my ox uh, kills a person, so then I pay what's called Kuifer. There's a Machleikas about that, which Rashi mentions. According to one opinion, if my ox kills a person, I must pay the estimated value of that person, meaning that we we, we, uh, we appoint a based in and we establish, quote-unquote, a price for that person based on how much he would be worth to be sold as a slave in the marketplace, even though he actually is a free person. But in order to estimate his, quote-unquote, value, that's how we would do it. Um, that's one opinion. Another opinion is that I would have to pay what's called deme mazik. I would have to pay an estimated value of my life if my ox gored a person and killed him. Because really, in a certain sense, I am liable for the death sentence. Really, that's, a, that's almost a capital crime that I have been careless with my ox and allowed it to gore and kill somebody. And really my life should be taken away. But the term says, uh, in this particular case, will let you get off with a payment. You must, so to speak, redeem your own soul. So they would estimate how much I am worth in the marketplace, and I would have to pay that amount. That's all if my ox has gored a free Jewish person, or even an Evid However, now we're going to learn what happens if my ox gored an Evid Kanani. The Mishnah, the Posek says, Im Eved Yigach o Amo. If it is an Evid, if it is a slave, that the ox will gore, or an Amo, or a maidservant, a female slave, silver, 30 shekel, he shall give to the master of the slave. So if my ox gores someone else's slave, I must pay 30 shekel to the owner of that slave. And the ox will be stoned, the ox will be put to death. Let's take a look at Rashi. <inaudible> Rashi says, K'na'anim. This is referring to Eved Knani, apparently as opposed to Eved Ivri. Okay. <inaudible> Thirty shekel he shall give. Rashi says, <inaudible> This is a <inaudible> This is a decree of Scripture. This is a decree of the Torah el of zuz, whether this evit is worth a thousand zoos, so he's a strong healthy young fellow or a strong healthy uh, young woman. So whether this evit is worth a thousand zoos, a dinner or whether he's only worth a dinner, it doesn't matter. You always pay if your ox gores an evit and kills him or, or, or an ama and kills her, you always pay the same amount 30 shekel. So that's Xzer and now Rashi adds on the ashekel, and how much is a shekel? Mishkaloi arbo Its weight is that of four gold coins, shehin chazi which is a half of something called an ukya, the mishkal hayosher By according to the the uh, straight uh, weights of kolonia, uh, Rashi is uh, identifying for us the exact. Um, value or the exact weight of a shekel coin uh, based on certain kinds of coins that were prevalent in his time. I'm not a historian, I can't tell you what kind of coins they used in in Colonia, and I'm not sure where Colonia is. I certainly cannot tell you what kind of coins they were using in Colonia in the um, the, uh, 1100s when Rashi lived. But Rashi is saying that a shekel is equal to a half of an ukiah in the colonia monetary system. Okay, I would like to raise three questions on this Rashi. The first question is not my question, it was raised already by Mizrahi in his super commentary on Rashi, and he simply asks what is Rashi coming to tell us in this middle section of Rashi. Rashi says here 30 shekel the owner of the damaging ox shall give, and Rashi says it's you give 30 shekel no matter how valuable the slave is. That seems to be exactly what the Pasik is saying. The Pesach says that if your ox gores an, a, a, uh, an avid, an avid or an ama, a male or female slave, how much do you pay? Thirty shekel. Well, that's what it's saying. It's saying you don't pay any estimated value. There's no sliding scale. You pay thirty shekel. So that that what is Rashi telling us when he tells us that uh, it's a akosuv? It doesn't matter how much the slave is worth. You always pay the same amount. That seems to be exactly what the POSIC is talking is saying. Question number two. Why does Rashi even say the, why, why does Rashi say Akosafi? He seems to be saying that there's no uh, obvious reason for this law. It's Xxausko. It's a decree of, of the Torah, This is how much you pay. It doesn't really matter whether that's what the evidence is worth or wh- whether the evidence worth is worth much more or much less. This is a law, this is a decree. This is how much you have to pay. Rashi does not do this by every mitzvah in the Torah. Rashi does not pause by every mitzvah in the Torah and either say, the reason is X, Y, Z, or I can't think of a reason, it's Xeris HaKosov. He doesn't do that. Why is he doing it here? And question number three is about the last part of Rashi. Why does Rashi go into this this very... um, practical matter of exactly how much is a shekel. This is not the first place in the, tu- in the Torah where the word shekel is used. We'll talk in a minute about where is the first place. But in other places where the word shekel is used, Rashi does not define it exactly how much is it worth in contemporary terms, meaning contemporary to his times. Why does Rashi get so uh, so uh, practical over here to tell us exactly, how much a shekel is worth. Those are the three questions. I'd like to begin by discussing the third question. I think really it's the the easiest one to answer. Although when I first um, raised this question to myself several years ago, the answer did not not come to me so quickly. Uh, Does that mean that it's a difficult question or does that just mean that I'm a little stupid? take your pick. I think the answer is as follows. It is true that the word shekel has been used before in the Torah, and Rashi there did not define it. Where is the word shekel used previously? As usual, I set things up and then things change. Okay, but here's the Pasik. It's in Parashat Chaye Sora Sara Imenu had just recently Died. Avram Avinu is negotiating with the Ibn with the local Hittite people, to purchase a burial plot for his wife Sora. And he's negotiating with Ephraim. Um, Avram Avinu, he wants to pay for it. Ephraim is saying, No, you don't have to pay me. You're such an important person. We like you so much. You, you, why should you pay? And then finally, Ephraim says, Adoni Shemaing. My master, listen to me. Eritz Arba Shekel Kesef a land that is worth four hundred shekel of silver between me and you, Mahi. Between people like me and you, important people. What's that? Just, just bury your dead. Now, we all know that uh, Ephron here is uh, opening up his big mouth. He didn't have to mention how much the field is worth, but he's kind of got the idea that uh, Avram is willing to pay. And so he opened up his mouth and mentioned how much it's really worth, even though he says, I don't really want the money. But he's throwing out a hint here, how much it's worth, because he's hoping that maybe he'll get it. And Avram Avinu took the hint. And so it says in the next passage, Avram heard Avram, he heard Avram and Avraham. Weighed out the silver to Ephraim, Asher Berba the amount of silver that he had spoken in front of the within the hearing of the b'nei Ches, Arba Meya shekel kesef, it was four hundred shekel of silver. Over la Rashi explains this was very uh, very high quality coins, a particular kind of coin that's for which you for which which has the the full weight that it's supposed to have. Now, so here we have, this is the first place in the Torah where we have the mention of the word Shekel and Rashi does not define exactly how much it's worth. I think the answer is very simple, why he does not discuss it here, but he does discuss it in Parshish Mishpatim. The answer, I believe, is that here in Parshish uh, Chayesorah, this is a narrative, this is a story, a true story, but it's a story, Efron said, yeah, it's a land that's that's worth a mere 400 shekel. Why bother to pay me for it? And Avram said, oh, 400 shekel? Here, take it. But it's a narrative. It is not really necessary to know exactly how much a shekel is. The lesson that we can learn from the story, the lesson that Chazal derived from the story, the lesson that Rashi mentions from this story is that... Um, that a, that a Russia is Harbei Ephraim, a little bit earlier in the narrative, he was saying a lot. Oh, you, you we 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 respect you so much, you don't have to pay for the field. He spoke a lot, in the end he took. In the, in, the, in the end he didn't do anything. In the end he took the full price. That lesson we can understand, even if we're not sure exactly how much a shekel is worth we can still understand that there is a vast difference between zero shekel and 400 shekel. So we get the point of the story, even without Rashi telling us exactly how much is a shekel. However, here in, in our Parsha, in Parsha's Mishpatan, we are dealing with mishpatim. We are talking about laws. This, this is a law that if your shore if uh, sure, gores and kills an avid kanadi. You have to pay 30 shekel. Here Rashi got practical. Well, how much is that? So he tells us exactly how much it is in terms that people in his day would understand, because here we're talking about halakha. Halakha, Rashi felt the need to define how much is a shekel. And perhaps, perhaps this is why in Rashi's Dibur Hamaskel, in his title, he didn't just put in the word or even perhaps he could have put in the word shekel or shkalim, but he didn't. He also added the word yitain, he will give. When you think about it, why does Rashi put in the word yitain? He's coming to explain the value of a shekel or 30 shekel, but why yitain, he shall give. Perhaps Rashi put it there because that is part of what forced him to explain exactly how much a shekel is. If it would be a narrative and it would say Shleishim nasan, that somebody gave 30 shekel. Okay, he gave 30 shekel. How much is 30 shekel? Not, not, not the most important thing to know. But here it says Shleishim yitain, he shall give. It's a commandment. It's a law. You must give 30 shekel. So that is part of the reason why Rashi had to explain, why he felt it necessary to explain how much a shekel is. So Rashi included the word Yitain in his Dibur HaMasko. There is another approach to that point in the Sefer Sefer Mara Rachel. I recommend it to everybody to take a look for yourself. But this could be an answer to our third question. Let's go back to our first question, the question posed by... Rabbi Mizrahi, what is Rashi coming to tell us altogether? The pasuk seems to be explicit that if you're sure, if your ox gores, and evid, you pay a set price, thirty shekel. The, the, the pasuk does not distinguish between a very valuable slave or a ra- relatively not valuable slave. It just says you pay thirty shekel. And what does Rashi say? Rashi says uh, seemingly exactly what the bus says. What did he add? What is he coming to tell us? There is a super commentary on Rashi. Again all kinds of things <laughs> crop up here which I took off the screen before and the one thing that I highlighted disappears, so let me fix it right now. There is a super commentary on Rashi known as Amar Nikkei. I've mentioned it occasionally in the past. It is uh, usually assumed to be to have been written by Rabbi Avadya Miber the famous commentator on the Mishnayis. Um There are some who feel that really it was written by a Talmud of his. Okay, now I'm really having trouble finding things. Pardon me. Oh, here it is. Okay. In any case, a very useful and interesting super commentary. The Amar Nekai explains here. He comes to tell us what what Rashi is coming to tell us. Let's read a few words. Rashi Rashi is coming to tell us shaloi niteleimar the ayama ivrim hakosim middaber. Rashi's point is to make sure that we don't think that this pasuk is talking about an Evid ivri. You'll notice that Rashi opens his comment with im eved yigach Shoro ama knanem. Rashi, the first thing he does is he tells us this is talking about Evid knani, which is not 100% explicit in the pasuk. It just says "Evid ama Now a, a, a Jew can also be called Evid or ama. An Eved is called an Eved Ivri, a, a, a Jewish servant girl is called an Ama So those names, those terms could be used for a Jewish person. But Rashi right away, first of all, tells us we're talking about knanim. Now, why does Rashi make this point that it's a Xeris a kosev, you pay this amount, whether the slave is worth a lot or a little? He says, that's so we shouldn't think that this Bosak is talking about an Eved Ivri. We shouldn't think the Pasuk is talking about a Since it is not the derech, it is not normal for a Jewish person to be sold in the slave market. As a matter of fact, it is forbidden to sell the Jew in the slave market. So, therefore, the Torah uh, set a price on them. The Torah said that you always pay 30 shekel. We'll explain in a minute why you would think 30 shekel, but because it is not common to bring an evit to bring a Jew into the slave market and to bargain and see what he's worth. Therefore, uh, you shouldn't think that this Pusik is talking about an Evit ivory, and that's why the Pusik says that you always pay 30 shekel. It's a set fee. Therefore, uh, but an Evit Knani, Macher Bashuk, and Evid Knani, that it is his derech to be sold in the marketplace. So I would have thought, I would have thought that we estimate his value according to what his value is in the slave market. He says, Mali who? Mali Moyna. What's the difference between him, meaning the Evit Knani? and any other piece of property. If someone damages my property and reduces its value to zero, so what do we do? We go to the marketplace and we see how much that object would be worth, and that's how much you have to pay me. So here you damage my slave. You essentially made my slave worthless because you killed him. So he's a piece of property. We should go to the marketplace and figure out how much he's worth, and depending on how much he's worth, you'll either pay me more or less. So you might have thought that this Pusik that does not use a sliding scale, and does not tell us to go figure out the relative value of this slave, it must be this Pusik is talking about an Evid Ivri. That's why Rashi tells us that no, it doesn't matter how much this, this Evid is worth, you pay 30 shekel. It's talking about an Evid kanani, and it's a Xeris Akosav. That's all. Even though an Eved Kanani is worth sometimes more, sometimes less. And even though it's perfectly normal to place a value, a relative value, on an Eved kanani, he's a piece of property, but here the Torah made Xeris no matter what, you pay 30 shekel. I said I would come back to what the Amr says, that by an Eved Ivri, that one might think that, that by an evid every one would have to pay 30 shekel. So this is, uh, this he explains, is based on a pusik in Vayikra. Nothing ever stays the way it was 10 minutes ago. OK. We find in Sefer Vayikra, in Parshas V'chuk Sai, there is a Parsha called Arachim, sometimes uh, Colloquially, colloquially pronounced erchem. The proper pronunciation is arachem, values. What does this mean? It is talking about a person who was yaflin nether, who made, he made a certain kind of vow, and what he said is erich ploini alai. the value of that person is upon me to bring to the Beis HaMikdash. Now the Torah tells us we do not go to the marketplace and figure out how much that person is worth, but rather There is a sliding scale based on the person's age and gender. By the way, by gender, I mean I mean the person's biological sex and gender, it's all the same according to the Torah. And the Pasek tells us that if this person that I promised to bring his erech, his value to the Beis HaMikdosh, if this person is a male from the ages of 20 years to 60 years, so then the erech is Hamishim shekel kesef. I have to give 50 shekel to the base of It doesn't matter whether he's as healthy as a horse and worth more, or he's an older, decrepit, he's a decrepit person at the age of 59, and he's worth much less. It doesn't matter. 50 shekel. If this person is a woman, a nekeva, a female, and she is between the ages of 20 and 60, how much do I have to bring? The erich will be, the value that I must bring to the Beis Mikdash will be 30 shekel. And so on, if the person is older or or younger, the person will be worth more or less according to the, according to what the Torah says here. But we see that the Eirech of an adult woman is 30 shekel. Now, that's how the, uh, the Amar Nekei explains why you might have thought that for an evid ivery you would have to pay 30 shekel. Well, he says that would be the Eirecha Memutze Ba'arachem, that's the, the middle value of all the various values. The one that's in the middle is that 30 shekel for an adult woman going back to what the Pasek really says, according to Rashi, that the Pasek is saying that for an evid k'nani you pay 30 shekel, so other Mephoshim explain that, well, you know, what, let's let's put that aside for a moment, we'll get to that point soon. But the, the Amar is telling us that, what is Rashi telling us? Why is Rashi even opening up his ink bottle and writing anything over here. Because you might have thought that this Bussig is talking about an Ebed every and it's for the Ebed every that there is a set fee of 30 shekel. No, comes Rashi to say, no, nah. no, no, no. If you're sure kills an Ebed every, you're going to pay depending on the value of that person. Even though that person is not, is not a piece of property, and that person it is not normally, really never, should be sold as a slave in the marketplace, but we theoretically, we, 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 we imagine how much that person would be worth, and you might be paying hundreds of shekel, you might be paying just a few shekels. This Fosik is talking about evit Kanani, and by Evet Kanani, it's Xeris Arkosov. Okay, that's an answer to our question number one. Question number two, is, what exactly does Rashi mean that it's Now, we could say that the answer is what we just said, according to the Amr and the Kay, and there are other Mephoshim who say slightly different versions of what he is saying. We could say that what does Rashi mean by telling us here, He's just saying, don't think that there's some sort of sliding scale over here. No, it's exeris It's a set amount. You always pay 30 shekel. However, I think there's something else perhaps going on over here and something very interesting, something in addition to what we've said already. If we take a look at some of the other Mepharsha, we will find that they say that there's a very good reason why if you're if you're sure, kills an Eved Kanani. There's a very good reason why the Torah set the price at thirty zoos, and they say it's because of this parsha of. They compare it to this parsha of Arachim that we began to discuss before. It says in the parsha of Arachim that if a person makes a vow, I am going to give to the base of Mikdash the erech, the value of that person standing over there, and if that person happens to be a female. Between the ages of 20 and 60, what is the amount that I pay? I must pay shleishim shekel, 30 shekel. Now, Svarno, Hiskuni and others, other mepharshim, they explain that there are the Gemara tells us in many places that Evid hukash leisha, that an Evid Kanani is compared to a Jewish woman. In what way? An Evid Kanani is not just a goy. And Eved Knani, he was a goy, but he is purchased by the Jew to be his slave. He must be put into the mikveh, and he accepts upon himself all of the tayyag mitzvahs except those few mitzvahs that a Jewish woman is exempt from, such as lulav, sukkah, uh, shofar. In other words, the mitzvahs I say shazman grom, the positive mitzvahs that depend on time. All other mitzvahs I say. And all mitzvot say, all of the prohibitions of the Torah apply to this Evet. So he's three quarters or more a Jew, but he does have a special status called Evet K'nani. So in many ways he is compared to the Jewish woman. And therefore these mepharshim explain that since an Evet K'nani in, the, in, in his uh, responsibility for mitzvahs. Is compared to a Jewish woman. So that's why here the Torah said that if your shore kills an Eved Kanani, how much do you pay? You have, you have to pay 30 shekel, which is the value that the Torah assigns to a Jewish woman in the parsha of Arachen. So these meforshim are saying there's a very logical explanation of why you have to pay 30 shekel when your ox gores and kills. And K'nani. What did Rashi think about this? Of course, we don't know for sure, but I think there are two possibilities. One possibility is, is that he simply disagrees with this reason. Rashi feels that you cannot bring a proof from Arochan to this law about Nizikin, this law about damages. Now just because an Evid K'nani is similar to a woman, and the Eirich of a woman is 30 shekel, That does not explain why, if you're sure, kills an Evid Kanani, that you have to pay 30 shekel. And I can even prove it to you. Because you see that if you're sure, Gore's a Jewish woman, you don't pay 30 shekel. You pay on a sliding scale, depending on how much she's worth in the marketplace. So you see that Arachen and Neziken are really two different two different parshias two different ways of measuring something and the one has nothing to do with the other that's one possibility that rashi would look at this comment by the khiskuni and the swarno and others and simply say that that that's that doesn't make any sense that's wrong but perhaps it could be that rashi would agree with the basic logic he would agree with this comparison to the parsha of urach but he still feels that this law that you pay 30 shekel for killing an Evit Kanani, that for your sure killing an Evit Kanani, that still remains in the category of Gzeris Akasov. The fact that we have this reason that, that an Evit Kanani is sort of like a woman and a woman has an erich of 30 shekel, that does not remove this law from the category of Zerasakasa and let me explain why. In Parshas Achremis in Parsh I'm laughing because again I set things up and they're just not the way I left them just a few minutes ago. In Parshus Achremis we find the following Basak Es Mishpatai to Asu, my Mishpatim you shall do. The hukai Tishmeru, and my chukim, you shall guard. Leleches Bahem to go in them, to follow them. Ani Hashem Elokechem. I am Hashem your God. Now here you see a distinction amongst the Torah's laws. Some are called mishpatim, and some are called chukim, or chukois. Let's see how Rashi defines this difference. Es mishpatai ta'asu, Says Rashi, elu dvorem ha'murim b'torah b'mishpat. These are things that were said in the Torah the mishpat, with justice, with logic, if they would not have been said, it would have been worthwhile to say them anyway. Rashi seems to be saying that a mishpat is a law that if it would not be written in the Torah, we would have probably made that law ourselves anyway. It is understandable on the level and it is necessary uh, in society, on the level that even if it would not be written in the Torah, we would make such a law ourselves. What are chukosai? right? She says, melech. These are things that are a xeris melech. She me these are a decree of the king, and the yetzahara uh, challenges them. The, the yetzahara says, Why should we have to keep these? They don't make any sense. And the nations of the world uh, challenge them, and they 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 say we're 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 stupid for, for following them. And Rashi gives some examples: achilas chazer, the consumption of of pork, or the vishas Kilayam and the wearing of kilayim or shatnes wool and linen together, the tares mechatas and the purification that is done with the ashes of the paradoma, Ne'mar ani That's why this pasuk says, "Ani Hashem, I am Hashem," meaning, "Gazarti Aleihem, I have decreed upon them. This is what they must do when it comes to these kind of mitzvot." Li you are not permitted to exempt yourself from these mitzvahs, even though you don't understand the reason. Those are two categories Rashi gives here. I'd like to focus on the category of mishpatim. And again, Rashi says, these are things that these are laws that even if they had not been said, it would have been worthwhile to say them. Now, going back to our law about the Evid Kanani, and that if your ox kills an Evid Kanani, you always pay 30 shekel, regardless of the relative worth of your Evid Kanani. I think we can say that even if there is an understandable reason for that, even if we will say that Rashi would agree to Cheskuni and Swarno, that this can be understood by looking at Parsha Sarachin and seeing that the Eirach of an adult woman is 30 shekel and an Evit K'nani in many ways is compared to an adult Jewish woman, even if all of that is so, I don't think it comes to the level of evil leinemar. You could die the home run. I don't think you can say that if the Torah had not written this law, we would have said it ourselves. I don't think so. I don't think it comes quite to that level of um, unassailable logic. It's sort of an after the fact exp- explanation. Now that the Torah says that if your you're ox gores an evit canani, you have to pay 30 shekel, and it doesn't matter how much the evit is worth, we can go back and we can say, well, you know. An evid is compared to a Jewish woman, and a Jewish woman in a certain parsha is valued, quote unquote, at 30 shekel. So uh, that's how we can understand why the Torah says here 30 shekel. But if there had been no Pasek telling us that for the, for the killing of an evid Knani you have to pay 30 shekel, I don't think we would have promulgated this law on our own. And perhaps that's what Rashi means when he says that this law is Xeris HaKasov. Despite the fact that one could find reasons for it, it is still on the level of Xeris HaKasov. And I think it comes out here that there is a three-step hierarchy. Maybe there are even more steps, but I think we have identified here three steps in the hierarchy of the reasonableness of mitzvahs. Step number one is called Mishpat, a mishpat, as we said, as we quoted from Rashi, is that even if it's a law that is so logical that even if the Torah had not said it, we would have made such a law ourselves. That's step number one. That's the most reasonable kind of mitzvah. Step number two is Xeris I think, I think we see it here from this Rashi when we analyze it. Uxaira Sakasov doesn't mean a decree of the Torah, which cannot be explained by mere mortals. No, it can be explained by mere mortals, and it can be explained very well and very logically. But still, it doesn't come to that level that if the Torah would not have said it, we would have thought of it ourselves. It's not that logical. It's not that easy to understand the reason after the Torah says it, we can go back and we can say, oh, probably the reason is X, Y, and Z. But those reasons are not strong enough that we would have made the law themselves. And then the the highest level, depending on which, from which direction you're counting, is a A Achok is something where there seems to be no reason at all, at least no reason that we can comprehend. It's beyond our reasoning. But a akasuv, and Rashi uses this expression fairly often. Xeris akasuv doesn't mean there's no reason; there is a reason, and it's a reason that you and I could understand if we think about it a little bit. But it's a it's a it's a reason that one would give after knowing the law. But it's not a reason that we would have made the law ourselves, even if the Torah would not have told us. I think this is an important point to keep in mind. I think it will help us understand many different Rashis, both in Chumash and in Gemara, and it's, it's worth keeping in mind and checking as we go along to see if it, uh, if it is uh, contradicted somewhere.